This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Taking a posture of listening, I think we often try to jump into a situation of pain, eager to find a way to fix it. And so starting with a, a posture of listening, you know, what is this like for you? Sometimes that's all that people really need. One of the most read articles over this last year was an article on languishing. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, we've all struggled with sadness, with languishing, and some of us more acutely with depression, doubt, and anxiety. In this tender and thoughtful and practical conversation with Diana Groover, we talk about these themes and what are the ways in which we can begin to grow and to listen and to love both ourselves and those that we know who struggle with depression. Listen in to this conversation with Diana Groover. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. In this season of the Finding Holy Podcast, we are exploring themes about going back in order to move forward. So whether we're looking backwards in time, in history, through theology, or even in our own stories, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to embrace our past so we can embrace our future. Stay with us. Friends, it's really fun to welcome a fellow writer and friend of mine, Diana Groover, to the podcast. She's written a book called Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. So we're going to have a great conversation about lots of weighty things. So thank you, Diana, for being here. Oh, it's a joy to be with you, Ashley. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. So tell us a little bit about your story about around things like depression and doubt that you wrote your book on. What has that looked like for you? And where did the importance of these saints to speak into that come about? So the book started really personally for me. I've struggled with depression myself. It first started for me when I was in college um, during my time in, in undergrad. And I didn't know what it was at first, but slowly as it deepened, it became clear that, that that's what was going on. And I didn't know the stories that I talk about in the book during that mm -hmm. season. I wish I had. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder what that experience would have been like if I'd known that some of these heroes had struggled like I was struggling. Um, but, you know, we can't turn back the clock. So it wasn't until right. later when I was in seminary um, and I started noticing some of these stories pop up about people from church history whose stories we were still telling and, and whose lives we were learning from who struggled with what we now would call depression. 
Um, and so mm-hmm. I, it just really piqued my interest. I think that happens a lot whenever we identify in somebody else's life, something that really hits home for us. So I just started off on this journey of researching their stories for myself and then realizing that they Mm -hmm. were stories that other people really needed to hear. And that turned into the book. What was that your most surprising story of these seven saints that you went, oh, yes, that's me? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the one that is the most surprising just as a person is Mother Teresa. Um, she, mm-hmm. I think is the hardest one to say struggled with clinical depression. Um, but the depth of her struggle, um, and the spiritual darkness she experienced, especially considering the joy that she just oozed, you know, um, is, is pretty yeah. hard to believe and to read it in her own words is pretty shocking sometimes. As far as who mm-hmm. I identified with the most, I think there were some things in in Charles Spurgeon that I identified with a lot as far as um, the way that he used scripture, not as a cure, but as a bit of a lifeline for him and just kept turning his attention mm-hmm. back to mm-hmm. that. That was something that I really identified with mm-hmm. personally. Um, and then Hannah Allen, who's a bit less known, uh, is the only person mm-hmm. in the book who was a mother. And so as a mom and seeing how she struggled with depression while she had a young son, that's a story I think about now that I have kids of mm. of how that, yeah. um, the interplay between mothering and the struggles that come up in life and how to balance those two and how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, women particularly or mothers particularly struggle with depression and doubt in a different way um, than fathers? Yes and no. I think I'll just speak from my own experience. I think um, both of us struggle. I think as a mom, particularly, again, just from my own experience, there's a lot more guilt that comes with it. Because I think there's this pressure Mm. that we put on ourselves as moms to be strong for our kids. And so we expect ourselves to have superpowers, right? Moms don't get sick. That's the joke, right? Right. And so not only with colds, but then with mental health stuff, I think it can be really hard as a mom to say, I'm not doing okay. And this doesn't mean I'm a bad mom. It doesn't mean I don't love my kids. It doesn't mean my kids are going to get broken because I'm struggling. It just means that I'm still a human and I need to find ways to take care of myself. And that is taking care of myself and being well is an investment in the life of my children. Um, But for me, I think that requires a lot of preaching back to myself, certain truths, because there's a lot of guilt that comes with that as a mom. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Maybe if someone is thinking, huh, I wonder if I'm depressed, like what would you say are some things to be paying attention to? And then what have you found to be, helpful, you know, lifelines. If you talked about Spurgeon and the lifeline of scripture, um, you know, kind of ropes to hold on to, which I love how in your book, you do talk about the ways in which, you know, each of these, these saints struggled with depression, but they didn't just stay there, right. That they had kind of spiritual practices to, to preach the gospel back to themselves. So what would you say, you know, if someone's like, huh, I wonder, you know, like you in undergrad, Wonder, I wonder what this thing is. Does it have a name? Um, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. If someone is listening and they're having that feeling, I would just say it doesn't hurt to make an appointment with your primary care. That's a great place to start. 
um, for just basic mental health screening and even um, the initial pursuing medication. That can be a great place to start. Mm -hmm. So, and it's never too early to try to get help. I think a lot of times we think we need to be in crisis before we ask for help or seek some of that. And all of my, my therapist friends are delighted whenever people come in before it's crisis time, because then you have a little bit more uh, mental and emotional bandwidth to try to put some good things in place. So if you're not sure, ask for help and, and go from there. Um, I think the thing with depression, as opposed to sadness, sadness is a part of depression, but depression becomes a lot more all inclusive as far as there's sleep Mm. issues, there's eating issues, you don't have energy, sometimes your body feels different, you know, you might have headaches or stomach problems or things like that. Um, And there's just instead of just the sadness, there's this complete exhaustion, and sometimes irritability. Mm -hmm. So some of those other clusters of Mm -hmm. symptoms that aren't just sadness, that can kind of start waving that red flag that that you're entering into more of a depression sort of scenario, because we all get sad. We all struggle with disappointment, um, right. but depression is is a lot more invasive than that in the way that it enters our mm-hmm. lives. Um, as far as what to do when you're in that place, obviously getting the medical professional help that you need, but whether that be medication if you need it, um, getting yourself connected to a good therapist, that, that is a great place to start. Um, I would say it's also an act of faithful discipleship because it says this is the body and the brain yeah. that God has given me and I am invited to steward it. And so I need mm-hmm. to do what I need to do to take care of this body that God has given me. So there's no shame in that. Um, but in addition to That's those good. things, I think there's a lot of other steps that we can take, some of which are easier than others when we're actually depressed that can partner with some of those things. Right. If you have a heart problem, mm-hmm. you go to the doctor, but then you also try to adjust your diet and you try to exercise and, you know, they, they work hand in hand. Um, so I one thing I loved as I researched these folks in the book is I feel like they all gave their own advice about what to do. Um, so yeah. Martin Luther says, don't be alone. So, you know, pushing into mm-hmm. the community that we have um, things like I said, Charles Spurgeon paying attention to our spiritual life, which can feel different and can shift when we're depressed, um, but can still be a source Mm -hmm. of hope. Um, And, you know, finding those sources of resilience, whether that be humor, music, you know, it's ironic, I think, to talk about humor in the context of depression. But um, one of the, the people I talk about is Martin Luther King Jr. And he had an incredible sense of humor, as did Spurgeon, as did, mm-hmm. as did Martin Luther. And there was something in that ability to laugh, even in the face of the dark, that gave them resilience mm-hmm. to keep finding the energy and the determination to keep carrying on. So for each, each of us, I think um, what that looks like is different. For me, sometimes it's just getting out and getting my hands in the dirt. We have a little garden in our backyard mm-hmm. and I get outside and there's something yep. really good in that embodied act of gardening and, and, um, digging around in the dirt. That's really good for my mind. Um, but whatever those Mm -hmm. things are, do them, please, (laughs) you know, find out what works and, and get people in your life that remind you of those things that, that help. Mm -hmm. In what ways did you find you've had to kind of go backwards to go, to be able to move forward, you know, either, you know, in, 
trying to figure out triggers um, or family history or even just the ways in which your research is kind of a, a going back uh, to be able to move forward. So what particularly have you found as a way to begin to untangle some of these threads that have led to your own mental health issues um, so that you can actually move forward in health? In some ways, this book was going backwards because I was writing Mm -hmm. about my own experience, you know, this initial very deep experience of depression years after the fact, Mm -hmm. um, over a decade Mm -hmm. after the fact. And and so in that sense, there was this going back of remembering where did this start? What did this look like? And some of those little threads of of redemption that we don't always get to see mm. um, in our lifetime of seeing how that source of pain um, turned into this thing that helps me remember how God was at work in a season of pain and darkness. Mm. We don't always get the privilege of seeing that. And so I think that that's a great gift to me um, to be able to see mm. the fruit of that. As far as going back in the lives of people through history, I think there's something unique about learning from brothers and sisters who are long gone, um, you know, long in the past. Yeah. Because yeah. for that very reason, mm-hmm. because when we're living and mm-hmm. walking through things in real time, it can be a lot harder to see where God is at work. We don't get to see the mm-hmm. end of the story yet because it's still in process. And so to look back into the past and see, oh, okay, William Cooper couldn't see God's presence with him, but I can look back and I can see it in all of these friends that surrounded him and encouraged him and kept him alive and encouraged him in his work. You know, he couldn't see it, but I can Mm -hmm. looking back. And so these folks in history, the ability to look back into their lives and see things that they couldn't even see offers us a gift Mm -hmm. I think learning from how God is at work in their lives to trust that he will do the same for us. Cause I can't see the end of the yeah. story yet, but if I can see right. it in someone else's life, I can be encouraged for my own. Um, are there, you know, I think of Jeremiah, you know, for instance, but you know, are there other characters in scripture that you found comfort in too, to, to see, you know, their sadness or their depression or their doubt um, or even how Jesus dealt with sadness? Oh, I could talk about that for a long time. Um, the Psalms, yeah, the Psalms yeah. are a great encouragement. Yeah. Um, there's uh, all of the lament Psalms that we often overlook yeah. and very rarely get read in corporate worship, I think are a gift. They give me words to pray out of a place mm-hmm. of pain that I can't always find. Um, and so the fact mm-hmm. that they are provided for us, I think is, is a gift from God. Um, I think of the prophet Elijah, who you know, he had this mm-hmm. great victory over the prophets of Baal, and he goes out into the wilderness and tells God that he just wants to die. And God yeah. doesn't give him a lecture or a theology lesson or a, yeah. you know, buck up champ yeah. kind of pep talk. He just, <laughs> he says, you know, Elijah, why don't you take a nap and here's some food and take another nap and here's some yeah. more food. So yeah. that's a good reminder for me that uh, rest and eating and taking care yeah. of my body are good, good, very God-approved actions. And when mm-hmm. you're like that, mm-hmm. and then Jesus, you know, I, I hear from people a lot these cliches when it comes to depression. We just need to choose joy. You just need to trust God's plan. 
I, I think if you've ever walked through a season of pain, you've heard them and they can be really painful. And mm-hmm. I've come to the conviction that if we couldn't say it to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when he is stretched out mm-hmm. on the ground, weeping, sweating blood, saying, Lord, just let this cup pass for me. What Your will be done, but please let this cup pass for me. If we couldn't say it to him then, then by golly, don't say it to his people now. Yeah, that's um, good. And that's been a really helpful, clarifying point for me because he understands mm-hmm. what it's like to be in that place. And mm-hmm. I think his, his honesty combined with his surrender, I think is a really helpful yeah. guiding point for us. Mm-hmm. That's good. I love that about, yeah. If we couldn't say it to Jesus, then don't <laughs> pass off the cliche <laughs> to his people. Right? Yes, that's good. I love it. Easter is on its way. If you're looking for a little companion to help you move towards Jesus's resurrection in thoughtful, meaningful ways, may I suggest my Holy Week at Home bundle. You'll get several walking devotionals that will help you to meditate on Jesus's Passion Week. And you'll also get a workbook to help you count your joys and your losses and a few fun activities that you can do with your families or friends like make a sourdough starter and also make tomb cookies to get into our bodies, whether we're walking or eating, that Jesus's death and resurrection changes everything. You can grab the Holy Week at Home bundle for just $5 in my shop, and you'll find the link in the show notes. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. What can we do as the church uh, to engage questions of depression and doubt and mental health? How can the church both, you know, be a safe place for for hard questions and for deep emotion that isn't solved? And at the same time, be, you know, a place of hope, um, of movement, of challenge. What does that look like on the ground in our churches? Can you solve everything for us, Diana? (laughs) Oh, I wish. I wish. I think one great starting point is giving people permission to struggle. Mm. 
I, and I think that's one of the great gifts of the stories I share in this book is I think there is something in the telling of stories mm-hmm. that unravels stigma mm-hmm. and communicates to us what matters, what matters to God, what isn't, isn't okay to struggle with as a Christian, where can we expect God to work? What does that look like when it mm-hmm. happens? And so creating the space to allow people to admit that they struggle um, and through that, that communicate that there's no shame in that mm-hmm. struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we a lot of times hear stories of victory, the ones that have the nice bow on right. the end, and then we miss out on all of these opportunities to see how God works in the lives of his people in the not mm-hmm. yet, right? Yep. When the bow is not there. Yeah. And so I think there's something in freeing people in either the the ways that we pray, right? Is is some is depression or, or mental health or are they mentioned in a pastoral prayer? Are they brought up in a sermon in a way that is not judgmental and harsh? Mm-hmm. Um, do we have mental health resources that we can connect people with that they, you know, a lot of people, if they're struggling, they will go to a clergy member. Mm-hmm. And so do our clergy have a list of counselors in the area that they could suggest that they go to? Is that something mm-hmm. that they're going to refer people to? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of things like the practical things that we can do to get people connected to treatment. But I think it starts with giving people the freedom to say, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes in a lot of little tiny steps that build up mm-hmm. to create an atmosphere um, where there's a freedom to be honest and mm-hmm. and to be vulnerable and find a place that's not filled with cliches right. or judgment, um, but that's filled with a group of people who say, you know, we're going to stick stick with you in this until mm-hmm. the end. I, I think of a, a friend of ours who would tell this story about uh, a man who came to his church who struggled with some pretty significant mental health issues and he would get confused sometimes and would occasionally show up at church without his trousers on. And so they started keeping an extra pair of trousers at the church for him mm-hmm. so that if he ever showed up in, in one of his bad mental health states, they had something ready for him so that he could be dressed and, and be a part of their church community. Mm. And I think about that a lot um, because I think that's what the church can be. For, for depression, for mental health, for doubt, for any other number of, of struggles, are we there prepared in advance to say, mm-hmm. you know, come on in. We have an extra pair of trousers here waiting for you, metaphorically, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, right, or right, literally, right. Yes, but yeah. we're here, we're prepared and, and you're a part of our family and we're going to do what we can to make sure that you're integrated into that and, and welcomed and loved here. Mm-hmm. That is a great, helpful image. Um, you know, as we, you know, if, if, folks who are leaders on churches are listening, um, how would you encourage them to, yeah, I mean, because I think there's a, there's, how would you encourage them to lead, you know, around these sorts of areas? So I'm just thinking particularly, you know, obviously if, if someone is going to a clergy member, going to a small group leader or something and saying, hey, you know, I think this, you know, I'm struggling with depression or anxiety, um, you know, there's ways in which we can help walk people through and, and give them towards, you know, the professionals, which is really important. But a lot of people are probably just struggling with general malaise and, you know, languishing, you know, during COVID, um, that maybe it's not as acute, right? Um, 
And so how do we walk alongside, you know, someone who is just has some anxiety struggles or has, um, you know, moments of what feels like depression, but um, for whatever reason, it might not be kind of as acute to need medical attention. How do we, how do we walk alongside um, people and begin to like unpack the, the spiritual implications? Because I think often um, we can tend to think of mental health and we just go directly to the professional, which is really important. But then that's all we do, right? And we don't actually untangle maybe some of the roots, the spiritual roots or the, you know, relational roots that have contributed to that. So, you know, for, for that side, if we aren't professionals, but, but desire to walk through with people in these instances, what might that look like? What sort of questions can we ask? What, um, we can obviously have a copy of your book and be like, Hey, other people (laughs) struggled with it. But um, (laughs) besides that, what else could we do? I think we need to start out with a posture of patience and with listening. Um, because I think, mm-hmm. um, yes, we need to get people connected to the professionals. And I think it depends on who it is, whether we do that too soon or too slow. Um, but, but you yeah. know, really making sure we get people connected. But it's a slow process, I think, to recover from something like depression or anxiety or even like you use the word languishing, um, you know, as we're all recovering mm-hmm. from the communal effects of all that has come with the last two years of this pandemic, it's going to take time to get our feet under us again. And so I yeah. think yeah. recognizing that it is a marathon and not a sprint, and we need to be in it for the long haul, and there will not be quick fixes. Um, there is no band-aid mm-hmm. that we can slap on that will make everything okay again. Um, and and then taking a posture of listening. I think we often um, try to jump into a situation of pain, eager to find a way to fix it, which a lot of times comes from yeah. good intention, but it can lead us mm-hmm. in some very not helpful directions. And so starting with a a posture of listening, you know, what is this like for you? What is the hardest part about this for you? And giving people space to share and to talk. Sometimes that's all that people really need is a place where Mm -hmm. um, somebody can get over the awkwardness of occasional silence and doesn't jump in with a fix and doesn't jump in with a cliche and doesn't jump in with a personal story but can just keep space there to allow somebody Mm -hmm. to share their experience. Sometimes that's all we need. Mm -hmm. And I think especially as Christians, there's something that becomes, you know, when we enter into that knowing that we are followers of Jesus and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are ministering to each other in that way, that can become a very sacred space, I think, because it's not just Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. listening to your pain it is me keeping company yeah. with you as a follower of Jesus. I'm, 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 there's space there for God to work, even in the silence, yeah. right? Because sometimes yeah. we need the embodied presence of God's people to remember that God is present there and cares about this thing. Yeah. And so that's where I would start. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. where we have to start. Yeah, that's really helpful. 
and encouraging. Yeah, to like because I think you're right. We do, and we just want to like, let's make everybody better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's move. Let's move on. Um, and yeah, a lot of times it is just creating that space for people and for ourselves too. You know, as we struggle with similar things. Yeah. And then, you know, how might we begin? Do you have any good reflective practices either for ourselves or in community as we engage, you know, issues of mental health to help us to begin to bring some of these things, you know, to God, uh, experience them with God and to be, you know, to begin to sort of dive more deeply into some of the spiritual implications for depression. Because I, you know, I, 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 as much as many people may not want to probably go get professional help, I think there's also a segment of the population that's, you know, shows up to a doctor's office expecting to be fixed as well. Um, and so if we aren't fixed um, with or without medication, yeah, what are some spiritual practices to begin to dive deeper into that pain and loss um, and to still move forward with hope? I think one thing I I try to make sure that people understand and are prepared for is that the spiritual life feels different when you're depressed. Scripture feels different. You might not be able to focus and do a Bible study, right? Prayer feels different. And, right. and so I think having that awareness and the freedom that comes with acknowledging that, that we can explore different types of spiritual practices or maybe slightly different postures or angles mm. on some practices that we've engaged with before. Um, because I think when things don't work the way they used to, it can feel really disorienting. Yeah. That being said, um, I think one thing that I find to be really helpful is the practice of lament. And so whether that be finding a lament psalm um, I think Psalm 13 is the one that I go to pretty often. Psalm 88 is one that's really freeing if you're afraid of what you can and cannot say to God when you're depressed. Um, that one is is very <laughs> raw. Um, but finding a psalm and maybe praying those words specifically um, or using the, the mm -hmm. text that's there and paraphrasing it, putting it into your own experience or if you are so inclined and you mm -hmm. have the energy to do so, writing your own lament. I mean, the laments follow a standard pattern. They tell God what's wrong. They tell God what yep. they want him to do about it. And then there's some kind of grounding, you know, I can't see it yet. I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm anchoring myself in this act that you've done in the past or this part mm -hmm. of your character and so finding the freedom to pray like that to God and say, Lord, you know, the depression is so dark. I don't understand why you don't take it away. This is what I want you to do, right? I, I, and and this is where I'm anchoring myself. Yeah. Um, and you can do that with depression, anxiety, grief, you name it. It's there. It's a pattern that's held out to us that can mm -hmm. be a really helpful structuring point for prayer. Um, and, and that's a practice I come to often. And I think can be a really helpful starting point for people to realize that God cares about their pain and that we don't have to sanitize it. Yeah. We don't have to get the proper words and make sure that we're all, 
nice and polished and put together to come to him, but we can come to him in these very raw, untidy sorts of ways and find that he meets us there, Mm. right? Because again, with the presence with other people, yes, we want healing. Yes, we want to be free of depression or free of pain, whatever that looks like. But in the midst of that, what we need to know is that God keeps company with us there. And so those practices that help remind us of that and keep that present in our mind, I think are the ones that carry us through because that's where the hope is, right? Life life can be painful, but knowing that yeah. there's a God who walks with us through that, I think is a great source of hope. Yeah. What does that look like for you now having written the book, you know, you're a decade past, you know, those original kind of struggles with depression. Yeah. Where do you find those lifelines now in your journey? relationships. Um, you know, I have some really great friends, um, and my husband who, if I'm in a, a a rough place or I'm starting to see some warning signs, I know there are people that I can reach out to and talk with that. They know my history. Um, that is really helpful. Um, some of, some of these spiritual practices we've talked about are really helpful, you know, getting rid of some of the guilt that comes with struggles like depression and just recognizing this is a part of my story. It, it ebbs and flows in different ways. It's not quite as deep as it was at the beginning, but it's still something I have to pay attention to. So taking care of my body, trying to get good rest, mm-hmm. trying to get exercise, yeah. get out, get outside, um, not being alone, a lot of these these basic things. And, and what's yeah. beautiful about writing a book like this and having opportunities to share like with our conversation today I am constantly reminded of these things. Um, you know, I can't, I can't get yeah, away yeah. from them. They're, they're there in black and white. And, <laughs> and I have to listen to the advice that I give to others. So that has also been really helpful for me. Yes. Yes. There's been lots of times where I read my own stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm reminded again that this is true and good, you know, so even yes. yeah, our own words can be encouraging. Oh, thank you for helping us think through, you know, the ways in which we can journey with people and even journey with ourselves and through, um, you know, these past saints who have struggled to, to be tender with ourselves and to, and to be honest with God. So thank you for your good work. Oh, thanks. It's been good to talk to you. Oh, and as we conclude though, we do want to know your laundry routine because big things matter, but so does our laundry. So I'd love to hear, what does your laundry look like? Well, we live in a slightly older home, which has a very exciting feature that my three-year-old <laughs> is currently obsessed with, and that is we have a laundry chute. Oh, that's so cool. And so we have one on the second story and one on the first story, and it deposits all of our laundry down to the laundry room in the basement. So what's wonderful and terrible about that is <laughs> there is not laundry in baskets or piles Right. But then it's out of sight. But then sometimes yes. that also means it's out of mind. And right. so that means <laughs> putting it down the shoe until yeah. you're like, oh, whoa. And then I we do no many, many loads at once and yes. try to make a game with my children about folding it, which sometimes is successful and sometimes not. That's great. That's love. Do you find any any weird things having go- gone down the laundry chute? Do you have to filter like 
random toys? Not, it... not yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, but the the three-year-old is now tall enough to be able to open the door, to like the little hatch to the laundry chute. Yep. So I have a sneaking suspicion that those adventures are, are just about to begin. <laughs> yeah. The random piece of food that she doesn't want to eat might find its way right. in your laundry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. As long as it's not a child <laughs> or the cat, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That is fun. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, thanks so much for being here, Diana. It's been such a pleasure. Yes, thanks. It's been fun. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Diana Groover. Her book, Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt, is available at the link in the show notes. I'd encourage you to grab a few copies and to hand them out to folks who you know might be dealing with depression and doubt or even for yourself. It's a great collection of spiritual practices and historic saints that help remind us that we are not alone. Every week, I love to leave you with one small step, something you can take into your week to begin to experience the goodness of Jesus in the midst of your everyday holy life. Well, this week, I would encourage you to pick a psalm of lament, and maybe it's the ones that Diana mentioned, Psalm 13 or Psalm 88, to read it and to read it as a prayer. Maybe you don't have the time or space or emotional energy to write your own, but maybe you can just simply read those words out loud to God and enable them to sink deeply into your bones, into your spirit, to know that it's okay to be vulnerable with God. And then secondly, I'd invite you to ask a friend to go out for a walk. Move your body, get some vitamin D, and just simply share how the last several years have been for you emotionally. And these are sort of these thick relationships that we can build with the people of God, with our neighbors, that begin to help us move beyond busy and fine and into a more authentic faith and relationships. I'd be so honored, friends, as well, if you have a moment, simply leave a review or a rating on Apple Music for the Finding Holy Podcast. It will help more people have great conversations. Thanks for being here. Remember, big things matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.